So we have a dream here at Anchor Church. We really have big dreams and, and big faith, and we want to be a big-spirited church filled with big-spirited people and, uh, and leaders that, that are aware, just aware, that have been awakened, that have been activated to the calling of God on their lives. We do not want to be a church filled with spectators. We do not want to be a comfortable church. We do not want to be a, a church that's just filled with niceties and, and, and platitudes and, and a little bit of like self-help encouragement so that you walk out and you feel like you've got it less figured out when you walk out uh, than when you came in. And, and, and we're not here just to, to do things like that. I remember before we started a church, uh, Andre Kreef from um, Tableview uh, Church, View Church down in Tableview, he, he picked me up. I was down there in Cape Town. He picked me up at the hotel and uh, he drove me through. I was going through to their evening service, and he asked me, this is before I even knew that I would be planting a church in the future. He said to me, Adrian, if you had to start a church, what would it look like? And I remember saying to him, the only thing I know about the church that I would plant is that I don't want it to be nice. I don't want it to be a nice church. I don't want it to just be one of those, those, those little things that we set up so that we as Christians can be comfortable. We wanted it to be raw, and we wanted it to be real. And we wanted to figure things out with a missional heart and with a, with a passion for the future and, and, and something that looks authentic and feels authentic and that's a journey for people to join. And, and we didn't want to just create a safe space or a comfortable place for Christians. We wanted it to be a safe haven for the lost and we wanted Christians to come and be disturbed in their comfort. We want to be disturbed in the way that we become complacent. We're here to disturb your complacency here at Anchor Church. Because we believe that the Holy Spirit has more for your life. And part of our vision and in our role is to push you beyond your comfort zone because God does that when He calls us out. How many of you know when God calls you out, it's not comfortable? When He brings you into, and we see this throughout the Scriptures, when He gives people a dream, the dream is awesome, and then there's a journey that's very uncomfortable. But through that journey, we grow, we learn, we, we become big-spirited, we grow in our faith, we grow in our vision, we grow in our heart. And we thank God for the difficulties that we've been through as a church because it has caused us to grow. The Scriptures say this more than once. Be grateful when you're going through difficult times because you know that your, your character is being developed. You know that your faith is being proved and being tested and being, and being expanded. And we know that your capacity at the end of the day will be greater than your capacity in the beginning. God is doing some incredible things, and as He grows us, and as He causes us to grow, um, he, he expands our vision, He expands our dreams, and He helps us to dream bigger than ever before, and that is part of the privilege of this journey that we have, the privilege of this, this race we get to run, and um, I love what Eugene Peterson, for those of you that don't know, Eugene Peterson wrote the, the, the paraphrase of the Bible in the Message Bible, and wrote 35 other books um, incredible books, two of them that I'd really recommend for everybody to read if you haven't read uh, anything by Eugene Peterson before, is Run With Horses, which is, is the study on, on Jeremiah, and uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which is just about Christian, uh, our, the Christian life and what God has called us to. And, and he's just an incredible pastor and really shaped the landscape of pastoral ministry across the planet. And uh, he passed away this, this last week, um, his long obedience came to an end, and he's with the Lord, and, 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 and I thought I would honor just everything that he contributed by reading a quote of his this morning, um, because he had discovered something on his journey, and what he discovered was that God has a unique calling for each of us, 
And it's so in line with everything we've been talking about with Heart for the House is that we are not going to be able to go to the next level of what God has for this church until every single person in this church and in this community realizes that you are a part of the plan, that you are a part of the journey, that you're not just a spectator, that you're not just on the sidelines, but that you have something that God has given you to contribute and you don't need to look like anybody else in order to do that that God has a unique plan for your unique person, and from the beginning of time until the end of time, there will never be anybody like you again. They say that, that people learn by copying, but they become great by being unique. And we can, we can learn by copying others, and we can uh, you know, uh, emulate the faith of those that, that lead us, etc., but ultimately we all discover that God has created us uniquely, and, um, and this is something that Eugene Peterson tried to get people to understand, that we, it's not a competition. It's not something that you just spectate. You're not just on the sidelines, but you can be who you are, exactly who you are, and contribute in the way that God has destined for you to contribute. And um, he said this. He said, in the life of faith, each person discovers all the elements of a unique and original adventure. In the life of faith, each person discovers that they have all the elements necessary for a unique and original adventure. And here at Anchor Church, we are not trying to be like some other church. We are not trying to follow some, some model of, of what the church should look like. We are just on a unique and an original adventure. We are running our own race, and, and we can, if you do that, what happens is, is that you're no longer in competition. So you can celebrate other churches, you can pray for other churches, you can support other churches, because we're all in this race together, we're all heading for the same goal, we're all doing God's work and God's call, but we as Anchor Church are just going to be who we are. And we're just going to allow God to shape that, allow God to speak into that, and that's where the authenticity comes in. And, uh, and, and it's been an amazing thing, because when you're authentic, you're free. When you're pretending, you've got expectations that God hasn't placed on you, but you've placed on yourself. And some of us feel so burdened because we're trying to measure up to an image of something that people have expected of us and that we think is required of us when all God is saying is, I want you to just to be who you are and trust me to do what I want to do in your life. That goes for us as individuals and as a church. So um, it's incredible that, that God wants to use ordinary people like us, imperfect people like us, and through us build the kind of church that can build a nation. Build the kind of church that can see a city change. Build the kind of church that can influence generations of people. You might say, well, we're not big enough to have that kind of influence. Well, the, you know, the disciples, the original apostles, they were 12, and then there was 11, and then they elected another, and then there was 12 again. But the point is, it was 11 or 12, and that was, that was Jesus' only plan to turn the entire world around. Just those 11 guys, 12 guys, okay, you go forward. And there was a momentum that was created when they, just the 11, took what God had called them to seriously, trusted in the work of the Holy Spirit, and saw cities turned upside down. Throughout the book of Acts, we read about that. And, and God can do that through us as well. Um, and, and we will see miracles happen. We will see the miraculous happen around us as we trust in Him. So you might be sitting here today wondering, because we've been talking about dreams, and we've been talking about how it begins with a dream. Every time God did something significant in the Bible, he gave a person a dream or a group of people a dream, and that dream was a statement of intent. God made a de declaration, I want to do something, and I'm going to use you to do it. 
And he does this right throughout the Bible. He gives people dreams, but they're not really those people's dreams. They're God's dreams. That's why we say our church doesn't have a vision as much as God's vision has a church. God has a vision for what he wants to do in the city, and so he said, I'm going to set up my body, my church, in that city, including Anchor Church, and through them I will accomplish my dreams, and so we get to participate. When God gives us a dream, it's an invitation to participate. It's an invitation to step up and be counted. It's an invitation to to be faithful stewards of what he has placed in our hearts. And it's also a promise of provision. God is a good God. He will not ask us to do something without empowering us to do it whether it's with resources, whether it's with money, whether it's with uh, leaders, whether it's with opportunity, whatever it might be, God creates it because he promises provision when he gives us a dream. But some of us struggle to experience the dream in our heart and we still wonder whether that dream is for us. We, We ask the question, has God really given me a dream? Do I have that dream? Or how do I know that the dream that I have for my life is God's dream for my life? Have you ever wondered that? Like, I have a dream. Is it God's dream? And here's a bit of a guideline to help you to know whether the dream that you have is God's dream for your life. And the guideline that I normally follow is, does it wake you up? Does the dream that God has given you wake you up? And I don't mean, do you wake up in the middle of the night because of a dream? I mean, does it wake you up every single morning, every single day, It actually drives you, it fuels you, it moves you every single moment of your life because you have something that you know God has called you to that is deeper than just everyday life, just going through the motions, just surviving. Does the dream in your heart wake you up every morning? Does it keep you running? Does it keep you going? Does it inspire passion and persistence? You know, the word passion, the old Latin word for passion means suffering. Are you willing to... Some people are like, I've got a passion for Jesus. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Because that's literally what you just said. And sometimes pursuing our dreams means an element of hardship, an element of of suffering, an element of difficulty. But if you have passion, you'll push through all of it because there's something in your heart that drives you and fuels you that's more than just human motivation. We run, as Paul writes, with the energy that God so graciously supplies. We've got the energy we need. We've got the virtue that we need. And we can run And we can face any obstacle, we can face any difficulty because we've been given this dream, this declaration of future blessing. Every single time God gave somebody a dream, he said, this is going to bless you. Sometimes we think that when God gives us a dream, it's going it's to actually affect us negatively. And in some senses, it might feel that way. But at the end of the day, when you look back, you go, I am more blessed than I could ever have dreamt of because I was able to participate. And God says, through, even though I'm choosing you by my grace to do this, I will bless you in the process. That's the heart of God. That's why in Jesus we have grace upon grace. And so if you're alive today, you're alive because God has a dream for you. He has a dream for your life, every individual. There is a dream that God has for you, a plan and a a purpose. And, and, uh, And we've spoken about that over the past two weeks, this dream that God has for us and how we can begin to pursue those dreams. And and let me tell you that it all begins and ends with faith. It begins and ends with with what we believe about who this God is that created us and how he's redeemed our lives and what he is calling us into. And, and, And we can begin to pursue that. And we've really been talking about and dreaming about and praying about 
how we can see our church, and not just the people that are here today, but every person that will join our church in the next 12 months to 20 years, or however long we're around, hopefully a lot longer than 20 years, 200 years, 2,000 years, until Jesus comes. But basically the point is, every person that, that joins, we want to see activated in God's calling for their lives. There's nothing like seeing a person be awakened to the fact that there is more for them that there is more that God has for their future, and, uh, and there's this, this sense of knowing. We have the sense of knowing right now that God wants to activate us and, um, and change the way we see ourselves. And so as I was thinking about the fact we spoke in week one just about, about no, that it begins with a dream and how God works by starting by putting a dream in our hearts, we spoke about pursuing the dream through what we believe and through faith. We spoke about that last week. And... Um, and, uh, and, and I was thinking about, okay, so how do we, how, what, what happens after that as we begin pursuing it? And I realized that in order for us to fulfill the dream, we actually become the dream. We actually become the dream. I love what, what Bob Goff says. He says that hope isn't all the things that we're wishing for. Hope is all the things that God is causing us to become. You see, the hope in what God wants to do through our lives is that before he does it through your life, he will do it in your life. He is going to cause us to become the kind of people that can fulfill every plan that he has for us. And he has promised again and again and again that he will do it in us. So as we are transformed from glory to glory into the image of the Son of God, we recognize that we have the tools, we have the ability, we have, we have the, the, the strength to do the things that would be impossible for us to do. C.S. Lewis says that suffering often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary future. Sometimes we go through suffering, we go through hardship, we go through, but you know what? God is creating something expensive on the inside of you, developing you, shaping you, molding you, and before you know it, you think, I shouldn't have the capacity to do this. I shouldn't have the ability to do this. I shouldn't, I'm doing things beyond what I, I thought was, I was capable of, but God will exceed your expectations in His graciousness in your life, because He is going to shake some of those preconceived ideas that you have about yourself and come and do something bigger in your life than you ever thought possible. And He's going to do it by starting here. He starts on the inside. He's causing us to become. So before we can do the dream, we've got to become the dream. Before we can, we can act, and God does this with the gospel, before we can act righteously, we have to become righteous. And so it's, it's based on this work that God has on the inside of us. And I'm always so encouraged by the book of Jeremiah and, uh, and how God worked through this young guy as a prophet uh, uh, to a nation and, and how God encouraged him. And, and there were many times that Jeremiah actually went to God and complained. We find out that Jeremiah actually you know, had a lot of complaints. Have you ever had some complaints for God? We're like, okay, God, nobody else is around here. I'm not in church right now. I wouldn't say this out loud, but between you and me, what is going on? Like, seriously, this is happening, and this is, I just don't understand, God. Where are you, God? Why is this happening, God? Why am I going through this? And, and, uh, and so often we have those questions, and Jeremiah was just open about it, and unfortunately for him, it all went into Scripture. And so we read about his complaints in the book of Jeremiah, but we know that God had a plan for Jeremiah's life, just like he has a plan for your life. We know the famous scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, for your good, to bless you, to, to raise you up. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you 
a future and a hope. So God has got plans for your life. And he says to Jeremiah, I have plans for your life to give you a hope and a future. It's, it, it's positive. It's, it's, it's great. It's grand, the things that God wants to do and what he wants it to do. And he says it to us in Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. We are the workmanship of Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, were, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So did you know that for your life, God has a plan just like he had for Jeremiah? Good things that he prepared for you beforehand for you to walk in. And in Christ, you are recreated to be able to walk in the things that you could never have walked in without faith. And so God has plans for Jeremiah. He has plans for our lives. But like so many of us, Jeremiah struggles with the concept, can God use me? And you might be struggling with the concept, can God really use me? Does God, like, really me? Does God know kind of the flaws I have and how I struggle and how I doubt and how I, and this is what Jeremiah felt at the same time. He was like, I, don't, I think God got the wrong guy. I mean, he got the wrong address. Have you ever had a, a waiter come to your table and they like bring you food and they confidently put it down and you're like, oh, I don't order this. Like this is somebody else's food. I'll, I'll eat it because I'm hungry, but I, this is not mine. And sometimes we feel that way when, when God brings a calling to our lives. We're like, hey, I think you've got the wrong table, God. I think it's, that guy over there ordered it. He's been going to church all his life. I just started going to church. This is, surely this isn't my portion. And Jeremiah does that in Jeremiah 1 verse 4 to 6. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, came to Jeremiah, saying, I'm in, in Jeremiah chapter number 1 and verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Did you know that God knew you, the person that you were going to be, the person he was going to create before you were even formed in the womb? Exactly the way you are, exactly with the gifts, exactly with the talents, exactly with the, with the, with the, the abilities and the capacity that you have, he knew you before you were formed. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That word consecrated means to be set apart, to be, to be set apart for use by God. I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is Jeremiah's response. I mean, that is pretty epic. If God says that to me in person, I mean, I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. But, but Jeremiah has something else that he says. He says, then I said, oh, Lord God. <laughs> I love that the Bible records the ah. Oh. He's like, oh, Lord God. Behold, I do not know how to speak. I, I, don't, I don't know if I have what it takes for I am only a youth. Like, I'm just a young guy. I, I don't know how to speak. Like, you're telling me I'm going to be a prophet to the nations. I don't even know how to speak properly. How many of you have gone before God and said, hey, God, you're asking too much of me? Oh, we talk about dreams here at Anchor Church. We talk about calling. We talk about stepping up. We're talking about activated. And you're like, sure, for all of the other people. Because I'm just a youth, or I'm just the opposite of a youth, or I'm... Or I'm or I'm this, or I'm that, or I don't know enough, or I don't have a degree in theology, or I'm not, you know, I struggle with issues or whatever, but whatever our excuse is, we go to, to God and we say, God, I cannot do this. Have you ever said that to God? I cannot do this. Anybody with kids has prayed that prayer before. <laughs> God, I cannot do this. Help me. But God speaks to us. He speaks to us. That, that, you know, that, it's like relentless, that voice, that calling. We can't shake it. 
And sometimes we harden our hearts and the scriptures actually encourage us in the book of Hebrews. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. How many people are hardening their hearts right now to this message? Just, ah, not for me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not close yourself off like those who who were disobedient in the wilderness who said, yeah, God's not really going to do that for us. Hear his voice. It's for you. The problem is, is that too often we've kept ourselves. We've given ourselves a capacity. We've said, well, this is me and I don't change and this is what I'm possible, uh, what's possible for me. This is what I'm capable of and, and I don't want to hear anything other than that. We've, we've viewed ourselves, as I spoke about last week, some of us were like, you know, you're a mighty man of valor and the scriptures talk about who you are in Christ and you're more than a conqueror and that you have victory in Jesus. And then you wake up on a Monday morning and you go look at yourself in the mirror and you go, dear Lord Jesus. And you're evaluating yourself in the bathroom mirror rather than in the mirror of God's Word, what He says about you. So we cap ourselves. We have this view of ourselves that I can't do things like that. We look at things through the lens of what we have in this world rather than in the spiritual lens of faith. And then we disqualify ourselves. We bury our talents. We trust in money more than Jesus. We hold back on our serving. We hold back on our commitment. We hold back because we just don't know if we can be spread that thinly. I'd love to be a part of God's call. I'm just a little busy right now. You know, when Jesus sent out, when, when, when there was a great banquet, and the, the banquet of grace, the banquet of acceptance, the banquet of the finished work of Jesus, and, and the master of the house, Jesus tells this parable, sent out his servant to go into, to call all those who had been invited to the party, to, be, to share in the finished work and in the sufficiency of God's feast through Jesus. You know that the people who were invited said they had the best excuses ever, and I still endeavor whenever I get invited to a party I, 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 you know, um, that I get invited that I can't go to, to use one of these excuses. But one of the guys said, the one guy was like, well, I just bought new oxen, and I have to test them. <laughs> it's like God going, come and feast, and you're like, I just bought a new car, and I have to go for a test drive. Like, I'm really sorry, would have loved to have been there, but I'm just a little busy right now. Excuse. You know, other guys have got other excuses. The, the, the best one of them all, though, there's three or four in, in that passage of Scripture. The best one is, I can't. I just got married. I was like, every, all the married people are like, I understand. We get it, we get it. Like, <laughs> I can't. I'm married now. Sorry. But that picture is a picture of people that have become married to the things of this world, that have allowed the things of this world and the pressures of this world and the, and the expectations of society and how busy they are, and how we're all in the rat race running after thing. You know, they say the problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. And we can get so caught up in this rat race that we go, I'm not switched on to eternity. We've been invited to the feast with the King of Kings, and we're busy testing oxen. And that's part of what God wants us to move beyond. We look at our, ourselves and, and we begin to trust more in the things we have in this world rather than in God's calling and, and the sufficiency of His grace. And we look at what God is calling us to do and we think, I know myself and there is no way. And so what we do instead is we settle in a comfortable space. We settle in something that's just doable for us. But the call of God is supposed to take you to a place where your talents and your money and your intelligence and your capacity really mean nothing. God really isn't interested in whether or not you think you can do it. 
He doesn't factor you in. Your shortcomings, your imperfections, your mistakes that you've made, he doesn't factor any of that in. He only factors in what he can do through a person by his Holy Spirit. That's the only factor that matters. It overrides anything else. And so your capacity is really no bearing, has no bearing on what you can achieve. All that matters is, have you trusted in the Lord? Have you given yourself over to what he wants to do? Or are you holding back for yourself? So ultimately, we cap ourselves. We give ourselves the limit and say, I'll do that for God and no more. I'm capable of this and no more. And other times, people put that cap on our lives. They're the ones who set the limits for our lives. And, and, and we get this from a young age when people define us. And, and this is really something that, that, that irks me. And, and it, like, I'm quite sensitive. Like, don't tell me what I, what I can't do. Because then I'm especially going to go out and do what you told me I can't do. Like, even if it's something small. Like, somebody told me, you know, I'm not very organized. I'm like, I will show you organization. <laughs> You'll die by the end of this day. And I show you some organization. Like, don't tell me that, you know, I had a teacher once tell me that I, that I, was, that I was irresponsible because I dropped her car keys, it fell out my pocket on the way back from the car. And I was like, I'll show you responsibility. Because so many times people want to put us in, your, in our place. Have you ever had a big dream and you shared it with somebody and they're like, yeah, okay, but we know you. And people want to set our limits for us. They, 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 they have set a level. The world has got a level and society has a level that they have deemed appropriate for you. Because ultimately, they don't want you to rock the boat. Ultimately, you, they don't want you to outshine them. They, they want to be comfortable. They, they, their expectation or sometimes their insecurity causes them to cap us at a level they're comfortable at. So people might look at Anchor Church and say, well, Anchor Church is allowed to be this, but no more. Anchor Church can look like that, but nothing else. Who puts the cap on that? Who gets to decide what God wants to do in this church? No human being. None of us get to decide that. But people will put that on you. They'll put social pr pressure. There's the opinions of, 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 of peers. And sometimes we feel that if we defy those, we're being arrogant. If we say, no, we've got a bigger dream than that, they're like, okay, great. Arrogant, you know, thinks he's special, thinks they can just go and do anything they want. How many of you have had a big dream and people are like, please, just get serious. Just, you know, do what is expected of you. And so many times we settle. And Jeremiah faced this a lot. This is half the time what he was complaining about. In Jeremiah 20 verse 7, he says, Oh Lord, you have deceived me. This is like 20 chapters later. He's still complaining. He's still like, Oh Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I. And you have prevailed. It's like, God, you did me in here, man. I've become a laughing stock all day, all the day. <laughs> Everyone mocks me. And I love just how like extreme he goes. Like you can imagine just even Jeremiah's mother's like mocking him, you know, it's like, surely it's not everyone, but to him it feels like everyone mocks me. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. 
It's like I'm answering God's call, and people just, they, I'm a laughing stock. They mock me, and, 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 and Jeremiah many times wants to give up. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so many times people will mock your faith, mock what you believe, mock what your future uh, might look like, and, 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 settle, and, and get you to settle for an expectation rather than trusting in God. And in one of these occasions in Jeremiah 12, when Jeremiah was complaining to the Lord, God challenges him. And this is what I love about the interchange with, you know, God doesn't mind you complaining and going to him and being honest as long as you don't mind him challenging your complaints and being honest with you about what you're feeling and bringing a little bit of a reality check. And Jeremiah was struggling at that time because the people in the nation of Israel were coming against him. His own people in his homeland were struggling against him. And he feels like it's the end of the world. Have you ever had like, you know, some small thing goes wrong in your life. You're like, it's the end of the world. And so he goes to God and he's like, this is what's happening and everybody's speaking about me and they don't accept me and God, you know, how come, you know, people who want to do wicked, they just seem to prosper and how come you don't give me victory over them and, and why don't you give me, you know, what I need in order to overcome this negativity and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and uh, God answers in Jeremiah 12 verse 5, he says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And that seems very abstract, but what it means is, is that if you can't deal with the people in the safety of your own homeland, how are you going to stand against the enemies that come against Israel from the outside? In other words, God is saying, hey, Jeremiah, you've seen nothing yet. You're capable of far more than you think. You need to put on your big boy pants. Because if you can't even run with the, if the people here in your own homeland have wearied you, how are you going to run with horses? And what I see out of that is that God has given us the ability to run with horses, to compete against outside forces, to stand strong against any influence that comes against our lives, any attack from the enemy, any discouragement, any negative word. God is, 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 is big enough to cause us to run with horses. So don't get wearied by small things. You're created for more than that. Some of us are like, well, I've got too much to deal with. If you're being wearied by men on foot, how are you going to run with horses? How are we going to change the world if we're going to cry about changing a tire? I don't know if any of you have cried about changing a tire, but we've got to be bigger, bigger spirited than that, more confidence than that. So here is what I want to encourage you with today. That the seasons of your life and the seasons of our church and the capacity and the limits that, 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 that people expect of us and that we've placed on ourselves are of no effect. All that matters is the God who is in control of every season. Who here can cause summer to turn into autumn or, or, or can cause winter to turn into spring? How many of us have the power to do that? But God is the one who determines the seasons. And the seasons of your life and the seasons of this church do not belong to any man. They're not determined by anyone's ability, but they're in God's hands. And so actually one of the most beautiful things that God says to Jeremiah is in Jeremiah 1 verse 11, right in the beginning, right after he had said, but I'm just a youth, and God says, don't say that. You'll go where I tell you to go. You'll speak when I tell you to speak. And he touches the mouth of Jeremiah and says, I put my word in your mouth. Now go forth and do what I've told you to do. No more, no more excuses. And then he says to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1 verse 11, he says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you seek? I love that question. 
Because God is asking us today, Anchor Church, what do you see? What do you see? Not with the eyes in your physical body, but with the eyes of your heart, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What do you see? Because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Anchor Church, what do you see through your faith? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, an almond branch, um, there's certain kinds of trees that produce that pink or white blossom. But you know when it's like winter hasn't even properly ended yet and you'll be driving past the road somewhere and you'll see those little blossoms that come out on those trees and all of a sudden you're, there's like an excitement that comes up in your heart. You're like, oh, it's almost spring. Have you seen those trees? Like, it's still like middle winter and these trees are so positive that the moment like, the temperature gets two degrees warmer, they're like, let's blossom, baby. <laughs> and what it really is, it's a sign that the season is about to change. So God says to Jeremiah, what are you seeing? He says, I see, I see an almond branch. I see the blossoms. God says, you've seen well. I'm about to change the season. I'm about to change the season. Why? Because I've given you my word. I've given you a dream. I've given you a promise. And I watch over my word to perform it. So we don't change the seasons in our own strength. We trust in a God who leads us through every season, who performs it, who does it. And he's going to do something in your life that you could never have done for yourself. And then he's going to do something through your life that you could never have expected. He'll do it in you, and then he'll do it through you. What I love about all the promises that God makes is that he promises that the things that we will do will not be done in our human strength, but out of the, out, the outflowing of what he has done inside of our heart. He tells Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 5, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you. You see, before God does it through you, he'll cause you to become it. I have made you a father of, multi of a multitude of nations. He says to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great. I will do it in you, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And he says to us in Philippians 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act, to will and to do in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you might be sitting here and go, I don't know if I have the will to do what God has called me to do. Don't worry. He'll work in you. He'll not only give you the ability to do, but before he does the ability, he'll give you the will, the desire, the passion, the vision to do it. My point is, is that flowing in God's dream for our lives is not just us doing things, but us becoming something before we can fulfill that dream. And every day, we are being molded. Every day, God is, is stretching your ability. Every day, the cap that you have placed on yourself, that others have placed on you, is being broken. I shared this with our team on our leaders retreat um, a few months ago, and I wanted to end today just by, by sharing this again um, through the story of Elijah, because Elijah is in this place where um, there is a famine that hits the land. 
We read about this in 1 Kings where, where there's a famine that hits the land and, and when a famine hits the land, you would think that the safest place to be would be to stay in the city because there's provision there and, and, and there should be some resources there. The worst thing you want to do when there's a famine is be out in the field by yourself. And then God says to, to, to Elijah, I want to take you out of your comfortable space and I want to go and take you into the wilderness and there I'll provide for you. You know, when God calls you into the dream, he's going to take you out of a space where you think, okay, here I'm safe, and he's going to put you into a place where your only hope is to trust in him, that impossible place. He does this with Elijah. He pulls Elijah out of the city. He sends him to a brook, and he says, here, I'll show you the brook. You go there, and you stay there. It makes no sense. How is God going to provide for me? How will I survive? How will I feed my family? You see, that's the cap. Often fear is what caps us. Worry is what caps us. Insecurity caps us. A lack of trust in God is what caps us. How will God do it in this environment? It's not possible. And Elijah, he obeys, he goes, and he sits at this brook, and God sends ravens to feed him, to bring bread to him. Now, how many of you have ever seen a proper raven? Has anybody here ever been to the Tower of London? The Tower of London have these ravens that, that, that live there. And I'm telling you, I was there, I was like 14, 15 years old when I was there, and I walked through the Tower of London. And I'm telling you, I made a wide circle around those ravens because they are scary as heck. And they have the guards there that feed them, and there's a, a bit of a superstition that if the ravens ever left the, the, the Tower of London, then the, the monarchy would fall. And so they're treated like royalty, but they look like little demons with wings. <laughs> and they eat actual meat. They get fed meat. It's not the kind of, you know, if, if the Bible said that God fed Elijah using a dove, I'd be like, oh, you know doves, so nice. <laughs> They're always so generous, a dove. Always so kind. You know? If he used some sparrow or some, you know, friendly bird, then we could all understand, but why use a raven? You see, God will, will, will flip what we think is possible And that's what he does in our lives. He wants to break the cap that you've placed through a lack of faith. And he wants to show you how faithful he is by putting you in an impossible situation sometimes. So sometimes when we follow God's dream for our lives, we think, well, we're in an impossible situation. God goes, that's exactly where I want you to be so that I can show you that I am your provider. He wants you to know that he is limitless in his power. And when we obey God's call, we will be fed on the miraculous. And so Elijah is fed, and, and he's sitting at the brook, and he, all of a sudden he realized, but God is faithful. And so his cap, his capacity, his, his limits are broken. His faith is stretched. When we started Anchor, we thought that bringing in enough money to hire a venue was out of our league. Like it's just, impo- we, we had for the first eight months, our venue was free. We were in a restaurant with very little space and no real kids space for kids' ministry and to serve people properly, but we were like, this is us. This is what we can do. This is safe. And I actually had a sense that God was going to call us out of that safe space. We can't live here forever. And I actually said, I was sitting having some lunch with some of the team guys uh, on a Sunday after church, and I said, you know what? We could get a call from the owners this week saying that, you know, we have to change venue. That week, Wednesday... <laughs> phone call from the owner, hey, we've sold the restaurant, you've got three weeks. You can go until the end of the month, and then you're out. 
And now we thought, now we're going to have to pay for a venue. We're going to have to go and find something. We're going to have to go and do something. And, 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 and then there was a time when, when we thought that hiring one staff member was a stretch for us. How would we ever pay somebody to, to help us build this thing? It was a stretch. But step by step, God broke our cap, and he is showing us that we can dream bigger and bigger and bigger. And God wants your cap to be broken too. And here's why. At one point, God does the same thing that he did with us at Premi. He causes the brook to dry up. Where God was feeding him, now that's new season for you, bigger challenge, greater purpose. And what happens is Elijah leaves there, and he goes into town, and as he comes into this village, there is, he, he finds a widow there, and he says to her, will you bring me some bread to eat? And she says, I've got nothing left. All I have left is a little bit of flour and a little bit of, of oil, and I'm going to make a cake for my son and I to eat, and then we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. Because there's a famine, and we have nothing left, and we don't have anything. And he says, go and make it. Go and make it. And she begins to make it, and, and, and we know this miraculous thing that starts happening is that as she, she makes it, the, the, the flour and the oil just doesn't run out. And the, or the oil just keeps coming and coming, and eventually she's able to sell it, and eventually you know, God provides for her, but a miracle happens. Why did Elijah know that God could provide oil where there was no oil and flour where there was no flour? Well, he's just come out of a place where ravens were feeding him every day. God has broken his cap there, and so now he can, with faith, walk into other people's lives and help them to break the cap of their faith for a greater measure. You see, when God gives us bigger faith, we help others have bigger faith. There's a purpose to why God wants us to have this kind of faith because ultimately it will save lives. And so God has a journey for us where he is systematically breaking down whatever limitations we have placed on ourselves. And we want to encourage you to break those limitations when it comes to your own life and your own contribution. What do you think about when you think about God's plan for your life? What do you think about when you think about God's plan for Anchor Church? Can I really make a difference? Will I really be able to play much of a role? Anchor is a nice church, but I don't really see much happening there or much possible for the future. Can you see us in a 3,000-seater building? Can you see us planting churches all over this nation, all over the world? Can you see us sending missionaries out for generation after generation, funding them, looking after them? Can you see us turning a city upside down? Can you see us influencing a nation, building the kind of church that can build a nation? Can you see us bringing thousands of souls into the kingdom? Lives changed, marriages healed, families restored, people being awakened to God's destiny for their lives. Can you see us shaping a city? Can you taste the miracles? Can you hear the worship? Can you, can you feel the power of God pulsing through us as a community? What do you think about when you think about Anchor Church, what, what, how have you kept what God wants to do here? God is going to cause us to become all we need to be in order for us to answer that call together. I really believe that with all my heart. And he's going to put a fire in your bones. He'll put a passion in our lives that, that we, we will find ourselves in a place where we can't deny the power of his call anymore. Going back to Jeremiah 20, my final verse. 
where Jeremiah has complained. He says, you know, these people, they insult me. I'm a laughing stock all the day. Everybody's mocking me. I, you know, everybody has something to say about me. The, the word of God, you know, whenever I speak it, it just brings insult and, and all these kinds of things in my life. And he says in verse 9, Jeremiah 20 verse 9, he says, but if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, if I stop answering God's call on my life, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I grow weary of holding it in, and indeed I cannot. Because even if I said, okay, I'm going to give up. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the hardship. I'm tired of this. God's word in my heart is like a fire. It's a fire shut up in my bones. And and I I can't hold it in. Like Martin Luther said, here I stand. I can do no other. I I can't do anything other than what God has put in my heart to do because I've become the dream. Because God has caused me to to understand my destiny and my purpose. We can because our cap is being broken. And as a church, we won't settle for anything less than God's best because we have a dream and because God has a dream. And He will fulfill it through every one of us being awakened and activated in the plans and the purposes that he has for us. Amen? Amen.